Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging your success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. Okay, and welcome back to the next episode of the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast. I am so excited to have a dear friend, Shannon Hall. We've been talking about this for for quite a while and talking off and on about doing some collaboration and just really excited to have her on the podcast today. Uh, Dr. Hall is a tech scientist. She has expertise in leadership and in team performance. She's been leveraging about 10 years of experience researching, training, and consulting with multiple startups, uh, I believe here in San Francisco and also the Bay Area, and I think other other areas as well. Uh, she owns and runs a company called Epic Teams. I'll let her get a little bit more into what exactly that entails, but she's really been focusing on positive psychology. She's a positive psychology coast. And I'm going to kind of hand it off to Shannon and, and let her explain a little bit more about a little bit about her background and a little bit more about what Epic Teams actually does. And one other thing, one of the reasons that we're so excited to bring Shannon into this realm is the topic that we're constantly focusing on is fulfillment. And that's fulfillment in your personal your social, your business, and your spiritual life. And a big part of our fulfillment is the work that we do. And whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you are in a team, whether you work for somebody else, that team dynamics, whether you're a team leader, whether you're a team member, that the fulfillment side of the people that you're constantly interacting with, especially for people who are working eight, nine, 10 hours a day sometimes in teams, has a huge impact on your fulfillment. And so we're excited and so happy to have Dr. Hall on the program with us. So welcome. Thank you. And thank you for that intro. Uh, great to be here. I have a big smile on my face because I get to do a podcast with a dear friend of mine and meet a new friend. And hi, Scott. And um, yeah, so just a little bit more about me. I'm a sociologist by training. And so I've always been fascinated with what enables groups and teams to do their best possible work together. And I'm particularly motivated by groups and teams that are working towards what I call an extraordinary mission. And so a lot of my own passion and fulfillment comes through furthering groups that are really pushing the boundary on what is possible for humanity. So um, have kind of a social entrepreneurship streak within me and have spent a lot of my own research looking at social movements across um, continents, across um, eras, and have been always curious about how social change actually happens. And so uh, what I've discovered along the way is that even when you have uh, rock star leaders and funding from incredible sources and uh, really smart individuals that are part of your company, it does not mean that you are going to succeed. And what really 
makes or breaks a company is its ability to harness the collective talent to, um, and really to shift what it means to be a leader, which is in my mind, all about actualizing self and others towards an extraordinary mission. Awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you for that. You know, I've got so many questions. I'm just, (laughs) (laughs) I have so much curiosity, um, in this department. And as you know, I own another company and I have run about two or three other companies. A few of them have failed. A couple of them have succeeded, but always, always trying to really figure out what is the X factor that helps high performing, key performing employees, especially in the group dynamic, actually be able to take that, um, you know, really take that performance to the next level. Um, You know, I have a really quick question for you. What would you define as kind of a successful uh, group dynamic in terms of leaders and in terms of team members? One specific question that that I have on that is, what do you see in terms of the delegation of power in a team environment, you said, you know, to really help self-actualize like all the team members. Now, do you feel that there should be a necessary balance of power that everyone should maybe have equal say, but there should be one leader, meaning there should actually be more power on one person than the other, but they all have, I I guess, equal voice? Or do you feel it's kind of like the Zappos model where there's no key management and everyone's just kind of like spread on a very horizontal level. So I'm glad you brought up uh, Zappos and Holacracy because I think that's a really interesting example of distributed leadership to an extreme. And so if you can think about on one side of the spectrum, you have, uh, I'll just call it like completely flat distributed leadership. Um, Everyone is empowered equally. And then the other extreme, you have your typical command and control, very regimented, top-down type of culture. And what I find is that um, there is a kind of, I don't want to call it happy medium, because I think I, I lean a little bit more on distributed leadership and then the command and control end. But at the end of the day, you want people to feel like they can execute in a way that feels empowering. Um, but that also takes into consideration the intelligence of all the people that are at the table that are tasked with solving a particular problem. So a team is going to lose out if they delegate all of the decision-making and all of the uh, creative problem-solving to one person, a.k.a. your manager. And on the other hand, if everyone is equally empowered, you could get into some groupthink, you could get into some analysis paralysis, you could kind of come to a standstill. And so um, you need some good dynamics in place and a good awareness of knowing when that distributed leadership model and practice is is empowering and when it's time for uh, a more directive approach. Yeah, I love I love that Shannon and and you know from my perspective I I've, I've been in so many roles I've been in somewhere I'm actually on the team as a call it a team player in the team player role. I've had a number of positions where 
uh, I was more driving the team, so more in a management role. Mm-hmm. And um, also in a, a founder role with I'm at nice. now in a couple of roles. And then I've also seen it from like the consultant role where going in to help position teams to be empowering. So I'm, I guess I'm curious. There's so many angles to fulfillment in the teams. And I'm curious, you know, what would be your definition when we're, when we're exploring fulfillment and what that looks like? And I know that the viewers that listen to our podcast are both a mixture of more entrepreneurial as well as. Uh, as those that do work for companies. Mm-hmm. And so just curious your perspective on what you think the definition of, of fulfillment would be in the workplace, let's call it, or in a team environment from maybe a couple different viewpoints, like maybe from the team perspective or the um, a team member perspective and, and how they unite together. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. So I haven't used too much this term specifically of fulfillment, um, you know, but one, one term that, I, I use more often is, is performance. So when I think about a high-performing team, when I look at the research around a high-performing team, that is a team that is meeting the needs of its stakeholders, that is rocking it out on all of its goals, that's you know thinking strategically about where it can add the most value and has good systems in place for making that happen. So there's that component. And then the other component is that they're continuously learning and growing. So they're continuously asking themselves, um, how committed are we to this work? So I think that's where some of the fulfillment comes into it. Like how, how much is this work taking advantage of our strengths and our talents and our skills? Um, I look at like how collaborative is the team? Um, how well are they taking advantage of the um collective expertise in the room. And then I look at um, how productive is that team? So are they finding those levers where they can channel their energies in a way that enables them to move forward without totally burning out? And then the last part I look at is how innovative is the team? Like how attuned are they to the fact that we we live in a world where we need to move very fast. At the same time, you know, we are resource constrained and we need to create a big impact. So given those constraints, what are some of the most creative ways that we can think of about moving forward? You know, I like your definition on that, Shannon, um, because you're right. There's a few different ways to look at I guess the the metrics, which is I guess a quantitative and then a non quantitative aspect of of being in a team, and you know having the actual performance indicators, the KPIs, all of that stuff, and then you know I guess a, a little more tied to the fulfillment side is I guess checking in also with the team members on how many of them are actually enjoying being with the team how many of them actually look forward to engaging with the team and i would imagine the ones who are happy uh the ones who actually feel like it's a team it's a family it's a kind of a cohesive unit i would imagine for again not always but i would imagine that they probably perform a little bit better i guess sometimes you can get you know team members that have a have a good time but but, but tend to slack off a little bit. But, you know, I've, I've been in teams myself where 
you know, we have been performing and, and the highest teams I think I've been, I enjoy the people I work with. I feel like everyone's on the same page. We're all kind of like moving, growing, learning together. But I do, I, I sense that there is a family aspect as opposed to some other teams I've been on where I feel like the only piece of glue that holds us together is the fact that our names are on this little sheet that says we're supposed to be working together and we get through almost like the bare minimum mm-hmm. just to get this done. And afterwards, I, I couldn't care less about continuing the relationship with these people or, you know, I I'm almost feel like I'm doing the bare minimum because I'm not actually enjoying some of the other dynamics that kind of goes with, um, with a group. Yeah. Yeah. Camaraderie is a big part of um, performance on a team. And Unfortunately, it's it's one of those things that most teams think happen on its own, and so it's not something that they need to be intentional about. And when they are intentional about it, they oftentimes think that means, okay, well, let's go to a bar together, or let's go do a round of miniature golf. And I mean, those things are fun, and they do help to create social bonds to a certain extent, as long as everyone on the team enjoys drinking or enjoys miniature golf, um, or whatever activity it is that you happen to do. Um, but I found that, that that deeper sense of camaraderie happens when you create an environment for the people on the team to be vulnerable with each other and to have that deeper conversation and that level of self-awareness around, hey, what are our creative tendencies what are our reactive tendencies? How are our reactive tendencies interfering with the way we do work together? Hmm, let's talk about that. <laughs> and um, when you see your coworkers as people that you can actually be real with, that's a, that's a much deeper level of camaraderie that really separates subpar teams from high-performing teams, I found. I love it. I absolutely love this conversation. Uh, I'm I'm doing that in, in some spaces, exploring uh, with a couple teams right now, really getting to the radical raw vulnerability of conflict. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding as we undress it, if you will, it builds such deep connection and a sense of family, um, which is interesting. But I had a question come up when you were when you were saying that. You know, I have a couple of good friends that worked within a Danaher, different Danaher companies. And Danaher is so good at their business model on execution, and they have stretch goals and they have high performance goals and, and they really do a great job. Uh, however, a common challenge I've heard is burnout. And mm-hmm. I'm curious your perspective on, you know, how do you how do you curb that? If you get a team that's unified, that feels like a sense of family, that's connected, um, that's hitting their indicators, that's stretching and all the all the factors, how do you create an environment for fulfillment without the burnout? What's, what's your yeah. perspective on that? Yeah. You know, What's really interesting about that is the research shows that people burn out not because they have a lot of work that they need to do, but when they have a lot of work that they're not actually learning and growing from. And so, you know, if you, I mean, like, if you look at me, I mean, I love what I do and I I wake up early and I get to work and sometimes I'm reading, you know, until late at night and like I, I'm not burnt out because I'm just so enthralled by what it is that I'm learning and what I'm doing and um, 
and if if you take those same hours and you're tasked with doing something that is just not fulfilling, then then that's not sustainable and stress levels are going to increase and all the other health and mental uh, side effects of that are going to increase. So when I work with leaders, one of the things that I encourage them to do is to, you know, do, do their own self check and, and really get clear on like, Hey, like, is this work meaningful to me? Am I growing from it? Is it using my strengths? Do I feel challenged? And then take those same questions and regularly ask your direct reports at least on a quarterly basis, if not monthly, because um, that's how you're going to avoid the burnout. Um, you know, so that's what I would say about that. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think it's something that Josh and I talk about all the time is, you know, growth is life. And when you're being pulled by inspired action versus pushing through something just because it has to get done, there is a you know higher level of fulfillment, but there's also a lot lower level of you know of burnout. Um, you know, so here so here's an interesting question on kind of tagging on to what you and actually Josh just talked about in the realm of creating a, a space to where there's trust and safety and vulnerability to where you feel like, yeah, th- this is my family, right? This is kind of my high-performing team family that we're going to conquer whatever this task is or this project or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that, that I've been discovering is I used to be heavy focused in sales and marketing and uh, in order to grow a business. And as I got more into looking at acquisitions or positioning for acquisition and a lot more of kind of the investor hat on mm-hmm. and realizing how the business operates. And I've, I've been much more focused on maximizing human potential, or I guess you could call it ROI on individuals. So instead of as big of a marketing or sales budget, if you will, how do you maximize the team um, in order to produce, you know, be run more efficiently? So I'm curious you know, tying that into this from a, a leader perspective, maybe there's an entrepreneur or somebody listening to this that has struggled a little bit with heavy budgets on sales and marketing, continuing to try to grow year over year, kind of pushing, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious your perspective on as a team member, if they're able to adapt into a process like what you're doing, creating new experiences to work together for a sense of empowerment, what your experience is that has been on the bottom line, meaning um, as a team member feels inspired to work and to contribute and to take ownership and to feel a sense of fulfillment on their team, how that affects the bottom line in revenue. So just, just curious around that, like what's the end goal if, if people are doing this and mm-hmm. they feel fulfilled, how have you seen that affect the business overall? Yeah, great question. I'm so curious to learn more about the work that you do as well. Um, so the research shows that if you do team development work independent of performance metrics, it's just not as effective. There's just not enough skin in the game. You'll have people who, you know, will at the end of the day, like, you know, oh, you know, we're happier together or uh, we're getting along great. Um, But ultimately, this is um, a time and energy investment for a company and it needs to have a return. And so whenever I do this work with teams, we get really clear before we even start, what is an extraordinary goal that this team desires to achieve 
that they maybe have not even considered before? What is the thing that they would really love to say, wow, that was truly an epic win. And I'm so glad that we did this. And we would not have been able to do this if we did not up our game together. And so we developed some metrics around that. And those are metrics that we track month over month to see where we are. Um, And once we get clear on what is that performance dimension, then we look at, okay, what are the critical few behaviors that are going to be necessary for us to hit that goal and how well are we doing on those behaviors and you know and then we'd have like a series of checkpoints where we're consistently adjusting and iterating and running basically these little micro experiments if you will uh, to see how close can we get to hitting that end goal Um, And we'll run some metrics around that as well. And yeah, and then at the end, we'll assess where we are. And of course, this is a journey. So even if we've seen maybe not as much um, as we would have initially liked to, we stop and ask ourselves, okay, so what do we we need to do to get to where we want to go? Um, And so the team develops the skills and tools to do that work on their own by the time we are done working together. So I transfer everything that I do to the team um, so that way they just own their learning and development moving forward. That's great. That's great. I had, I had another question around that too. Is, is there a typical size team? Just so anybody that's listening and, and relating to this, because one of my questions I had is uh, I do a lot with smaller teams where it's mm-hmm. like more of an owner that's wanting to move away from an owner operator to empower the team to drive the business. <laughs> Um, it seems like my experience is that we had, and before I could get the team, I had to work with the owner to get them clear on it first. Are your teams, what are the typical size that you're working in? Because you said you go right into the teams. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. So I guess two questions. One, uh, what size teams do you typically work with? And two, do you have to sit down with the founder and really get clear on the outcomes or the mission or the vision before you work with the team? Or is it, it I guess those are my two questions. I'd like to tack on one too. Is is there an, also is there an optimal size of a team that that you feel works best between this number and this number? And if it gets too big, do you maybe kind of like cut them in half? Really curious to get your feedback on that. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think a lot of times we use the term team kind of interchangeably between team and organization. And I just wanted to get clear um, when you say team, you actually mean like like a, a team, not the org. Yeah, that's what I I think that's the context I was using it in. Were you using it in as team meaning the organization? No, no, I I mean the team. Um, you know, team size is key, and the research shows that usually the larger the team, the more ineffective it can be. Um, I'm sure you you're familiar with the two pizza rule. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, but I work like. Most of the teams I work with are between 7 and 12. Um, but in a lot of these you know, fast-growing tech companies, when we do this work together, oftentimes we'll, you know, and because we also have really fast-growing teams, sometimes, I mean, there's one, there's a sales team that I started working with five months ago, and they were uh, 10 people. And at the end of the five months, they had exploded to 40 people. So um, we ended up 
creating three separate sessions for each of those members. Um, and I have another team that's uh, 16 engineers. Now they're, they have smaller project teams, but we meet with all the project teams together. I'd say 16 is really pushing it in terms of the um, level of intimacy that is necessary when you do this work. And so I, I, I don't work usually with more than 16 people in a room. Great. And then, you know, just for anybody that's listening that hasn't heard of the two pizza rule, uh, I know it was initially from Jeff Bezos. Is that correct? And just kind of where, you know, I know he initially, I guess, well, what's your perspective on the two pizza rule and how that would apply? Just so anybody listening that's like two pizzas. A work that has also been confirmed by uh, Richard Hackman is uh, a past now, but has been a leading team performance scholar, the author of the book, Leading Teams. Um, so two pizza rule, basically, you know, you're looking at like eight people, right? So it's the number of people that two pizzas, two American pizzas can feed. So that's where that comes from. The person that's thinking of, is this more in team meetings? Or just for context, somebody listening going, oh, if they're every time they have a meeting, they have 20 people in a room, or if they have two people in a room, it's the ideal two pizzas what can two pizzas feed as the ideal team size to meet and get things done? Is that, yes. is that how yeah. you would define that? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And then <clears throat> I guess one other question I had with that was, do you sit down with the founder first and like, I guess whoever brings you on to hire to get the objectives in place? Like, do you do a SWOT analysis or do you do anything high level or do you already go in kind of knowing here's the, here's the ob- obje- uh, objective or is it purely created while you're sitting down with the team from, from day one? Yeah, it really depends on the size of the organization as well. Mm, Sometimes I work with uh, organizations that are early stage, either like seed funding or series A, and um, the team leader is the CEO. <laughs> yep. um, and, you know, there's, there's that level of um, being synced up um, in terms of what the org needs and what the team needs. Um, and then anything larger than, I mean, basically any any organization larger than um, one team where there's multiple teams involved, it's super key to get the CEO on board and to have the CEO really own the endeavor and initiative um, and you definitely need every team leader to be invested in the initiative because if you don't have that, it just doesn't work. I, I love that because that's, that was one of the biggest challenges that I saw is coming in and feeling like so much progress is made. And then the leaders not following what's being set as a standard. And then everybody resorts back to following the leader. And so that's what I was curious of. How do you know? It sounds like finding the team's where the leader's open to be vulnerable, the leader's open to be transparent, the leader's open to do the same work that they're expecting their team to do mm-hmm. is, the, is the best possible environment because they're vulnerable, they're owning it, they're embracing it, and so it gives everybody else permission uh, to, to do the same. Is that is that really what you... Yeah. That's my question, if it was validated on large teams as well as on, on small teams of doing that together. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and, and even I've, I've had times when I've been working with leaders and I, I could tell they just weren't really as invested, but they were kind of going through the motions. And I thought, okay, well, 
you know, maybe, maybe they'll come around. And in the end, those are the teams that end up just not performing as well as when the leader is just like, let's fucking do this already and make it happen. So tacking on to that, what would you say as you first kind of come in contact to, I guess, management or if it's a smaller company, the the owner, CEO, and they've got, they may not be as vested as, you know, maybe doing the work themselves, but they have a direction and they have kind of an idea I'm going to bring in Epic Teams. I'm going to bring Shannon in to really tune up this team and really get it to the next level. Once you get there, you start to evaluate his vision is different than maybe your vision. Maybe he's thinking, I want you to really work on, I don't know, I'm just kind of throwing it out there, this specific sales and marketing side, or we need this type of... And we need to get more together on our on our mission statement for the company, and then we'll kind of like we'll move up together. And you're thinking, no, there's there's a trust factor here. Before we can do anything else, we need to tackle A or B or C, and it's at odds to the owner or whoever that maybe kind of brought you on. Uh, have you seen that? And if you have, how have you how have you dealt with that before? Yeah, so. I'm a big fan of um, Peter Hawkins' work, and um, he's put forth this model of systemic team coaching. And the basic premise of systemic team coaching is that um, a team's value is in its ability to create um, products or services that meet the needs of its stakeholders. And so at that point, it's not, it's not what the, it's not, of course, the manager's perspective is important about what the team needs to focus on. Um, and of course the, what the team thinks it needs to focus on is important. However, you're going to get much more valuable input. If you ask the stakeholders of the team, um, what does, what, from your perspective, how is the team meeting your needs? What does it need to do to step up? Um, and so it's this outside in perspective and then it's a forward back perspective. So we ask, okay, let's fast forward a year from now or six months from now, or even three months from now. Like what is it that this team stakeholders need from you and how are we going to get there? And so Establishing that baseline um, makes a huge difference because if a team is just very internally oriented, they and they might miss a lot. You know that that doesn't. Um, I mean, they're, especially in today's day and age where um, we need to be attuned to the competitive landscape and we need to be attuned to. Um, all the different forces that are at play. And if we're not, we are going to get dusted. So, um, so at that point, you know, when you bring that information in and you orient the manager and the team around that information, it's just a different conversation. You know, and I, as you were talking, I had something come up and it was, it was a challenge that I had in my own, one of my own companies. And then I've seen this as well. 
how do you find that right balance with it's almost like what you want to i think as your business starts doing well you want to yeah. give to your team and there's there's the joy from an owner perspective and giving to the team and i guess it depends on the owner and their mindset but i found there's also a limit uh, i had a company where i was giving so much and then i felt a sense of entitlement which mm-hmm. and then i've noticed a couple other clients and it's the same kind of energy where how do you find that that balance between doing a good job where you're fulfilled, you're growing, you're learning, you're compensated well, but not, I think there's a whole conversation about overcompensation. Yeah. <laughs> companies that are doing so much now, there's, it's just a really interesting conversation around, you know, what's that balance? So I'm curious, you know, and again, our conversation is focused around fulfillment. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, in order to be fulfilled, where do you find that balance comes from between, I guess, so, so to find my question, for fulfillment, what's the balance between, I guess, growth and and compensation monetarily um, for the teams on the results? And mm-hmm. where does where does it get into trouble? Right, where does it get into trouble? Yeah, yeah. Where, oh man, I'm I've given them so much and we didn't get the result, or or there's I don't, I don't know what that energy of entitlement comes from. Yeah, but just curious your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious more about the. Um, specific situation that you're talking about when we said I'm giving so much you mean like comp or energy or like can you tell me a little bit more about the specific situation you're referring to yeah I, I well I, I'm thinking of of one recently where they were they were bonusing and the team kept asking for more so it's almost mm-hmm. like they would create a bonus structure and then the team would say well I need more and I, I need more and I need more and they're feeling like well I'm, I keep creating bonus structures uh, and then the owner was feeling like I'm giving so much already and it's never enough. So uh, almost like a, a, ch- a challenge with feeling like, man, I'm giving and giving and giving and it's always more. So then they, they start to have almost judgment from the team of, of an entitlement because they're like, I already bonused. And then the irony is when I get in under the hood with some of them, the bonuses weren't even built around <laughs> stretch goals, right? Some of them around baseline, there's not even any growth tied to it. So it just gets a little bit interesting. So I'm just curious, Again, when, when navigating that situation where there's an owner that wants to give to their team and a lot of them do it through financial means, uh-huh. uh, um, you know, is it, is it that it maybe wasn't financial means and the team's not growing as an individual and so uh-huh. that they, they move to financial when they don't feel a sense of growth or fulfillment? And, and again, it may not be a known. It just may be an interesting uh, conversation, but I do see it, it surface sometimes amongst different owners and get a little confused on it. That is really fat. Are you talking about with a sales team? Uh, this one was a doctor's office, like a dental practice, and incentivizing the team on bonuses to hit certain goals. Um, and how, again, when you have, it's also tricky when there's people that aren't compensated um, through it, but then they want to incentivize the team. If we work together as a team and hit this goal, mm-hmm. then everybody should win. We all win together. So right. how do we win as a team and everybody gets compensated um, and then there was like almost like anger and <laughs> fighting. It's just it just was interesting, right? Of of how the structure was set up and where sometimes um, it can be a little bit tricky. Yeah, that is super tricky. I mean, so much of this work is contextual, so that's why I'm just like, I, let's dig a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. uh, like we um, we said, who was it? Like front office, or was it actually like the clinicians who were getting the bonuses? I just wanted to know a little bit more. Yeah, so I guess when in, when I did a lot of deep work and had this is one of the clients that I actually talked about it all and got to the surface, I found there was conflict issues and mm-hmm. people didn't feel safe in the office. Um, and so it was more of a self-protection. And when they 
they weren't fulfilled at their job. They didn't feel safe at their job. Even though it was a great team, they're actually high performing from the outside. Uh, mm-hmm. But the inside, there was some conflict. And in turn, they were trying to overcompensate with money to justify to justify uh-huh. it. So it was, was my observation. Again, it was more of an observation of, wow, they're not fulfilled here. Um, they don't feel safe. They don't feel fulfilled. So in order to justify it, they think they need more and more and more money to justify it. So the problem isn't giving them more money, which is what he kept doing. Oh, let me give you more. Let me give you more. It's never enough. And I felt like the problem was let's all come to the table and be vulnerable and talk about the conflict and let's resolve yeah. the conflict and see where they're going to come from. Uh, so I, I didn't just didn't know if that was a, a very individual perspective or if it's a common thing where because uh, I see it kind of one or the other. They're either overly generous or and kind of get taken advantage of even I've seen at times or yeah. other times they, they don't give enough <laughs> and teams are crushing it. And they don't compensate them when they're doing it. So again, it's just an interesting. Had questions around it, um, and maybe it's n- it's not an over maybe it's not a generalized thing. It's an individual case by case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is super fascinating. Um, you know, especially when, like you said, so if if people are checked out, if they feel like you know this is just a paycheck, then giving them those additional bonuses seemed like it, it was, it, that's interesting that, that the owner saw that as his primary recourse, which I think probably contributed more to the problem. I'm, I'm guessing, um, as you said, it sounded like there was some infighting that happened, you know, as a result of continuing to give those bonuses and it wasn't like output was increasing. Um, yeah, that's definitely, I think, a, an example of kind of perverse incentives. Um, you know, on the other hand, when you look at organizations that are creating cultures of performance and growth, that factors like comp and benefits are really what are called um, hygiene factors. So, mm-hmm. you know, that they're, they're it's not, it, it doesn't really determine whether people, so whether people stay or go, it, you know, it's, it's helpful for keeping people there. And of course, um, incremental bumps are always welcome, but if people feel like they are learning and growing they're you know, and as long as they have a decent amount of comp and benefits, they're going to stay and throwing money at them actually can sometimes, um, you know, from what we know from human behavior, um, take things in a different direction. Hmm. You know, Josh, this, this reminds me, and I don't know if we've actually mentioned this on the podcast before, but it was a story that you told me, and I don't know if, if maybe you wanted to maybe elaborate on this a little bit, but it was one of your past experiences where I know that you were in, um, in a, in a high performing team. And I know that your specific role was, I think it was biz dev and you were, really kicking ass and and making your numbers and you were getting compensated uh financially on a very high level but it wasn't necessarily what you were ultimately wanting yes you want to get get paid for what you're worth but i think there was a there was a higher uh kind of desire if you will of wanting i guess some partnership or equity or something else and i guess all the money wouldn't have actually made you more fulfilled in that aspect. And it sounded like there was a little bit of a kind of a disconnect of, um, 
you know, where the owners were and, and really what you're wanting. Yeah, no, that, that, that was the, you're exactly right. That was, a, there's another example of when I was on an actual team and contributing on a revenue standpoint and actually generating about a third of the revenue for the company. And, uh, the irony was what threw me over the edge. Part of it was the partnership, but it's, it's so funny what you're talking about Shannon, because I'm such a, a personal development junkie. Um, I saw where there was, the team was growing so fast, fast in this particular case, the founder was still running kind of the old school authoritative leadership style mm-hmm. where he used fear. Um, and people mm-hmm. would come to him and, and they wouldn't, con- uh, they weren't confront him. I was very co- confrontational and spoke, spoke my mind. And so in order to get the team united, cause people were leaving, I started putting together personal development events to add value, to gr- uh, help the team grow, said cool. oh, like growth. And he canceled all of them. So I was doing what? it just as a, just as a value add. And he went in and canceled all of them and said, no, da 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 and overrid them. And that, to me, was what made me leave. It wasn't the actual <laughs> – the, the other factors were at play, but that was the part where it was like, wow, hey, I'm doing this because I care about these people, and right. I want them to have better lives. And on my own time, designing my own curriculums to add value, to have them actually believe the mission <laughs> of this company. Yeah. Like I saw what was going on. So – um, and, but I think that's one of the things I've observed, and I got it from a guy that was a, a turnaround, a big turnaround guy. And he said he would come into companies, and he said one of the biggest problems was ego. And, uh, you know, from the top down, where yeah. these people get into organizations and they push people down um, and kind of sit on their job and they're threatened uh, from people kind of, you know, people that could really drive the mission forward um, and really drive things forward. So he comes in, takes over a company. And he immediately interviews everybody, gets the mission going and going and getting excited. And then he goes and looks for the people that are holding people down and cuts them and then just empowers the team. <laughs> and the team really takes that mission and runs with it. And uh, so I'm, I guess uh, the reason I'm sharing it is I think what you're doing is is so valuable. Um, and I, I, I think if more owners and team members realize what would happen if they loved what they did, if they came into the office, let's call it most of our time spent at work, and if yeah. you come in and you love what you do and you feel inspired and you add value and you can grow and you you have a voice, I think that's another big piece of it. It's inspiring mm-hmm. what can happen with an organization. I, I find the owner can kind of step aside and focus on the vision. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what it, I guess a question for that is what's a way that you take uh, or I'm curious, how do you take that vision and, and help people embody that? Right? Or what is any, anything that you can if there is an owner listening just from this podcast alone, is there any takeaways that they can take and implement in right now of like, man, if I just sat down with my team and had a transparent conversation, uh, is it, you know, and talking about things and bringing it into the light? Is it anything you could recommend is starting to move in this direction to like be open to a company like yours to come into theirs? Well, you know, one, you know, just shifting the mindset that, um, we can, we can become a, team committed to learning and growing and getting better over time. Um, I think that's, that's huge. And even just that shift in the mindset creates ripple effects and how you interact with your people. Um, and so I would say one, just, you know, recognizing that we are all on a journey and yeah, you may not be working together with this specific group of people for the rest of your life, but while you are together, Let's make the most of it and really see where we can help, uh, you know, identify where our blind spots are 
and come about it in a way that feels encouraging and empowering. So that's just something right off the bat that I've discovered. It's just just recognizing that you don't have to control everything, that your people actually are capable of way more than you think. And by just asking the right questions, I'm a big fan of you know, grow coaching. So I use the grow model a lot in my work with managers. Super, super, super simple. You know, uh, grow acronym, you know, like G, what's your goal? What's your aim in the situation? You know, R, reality, where are you now? What have you tried? What worked? What didn't work? O is for obstacles, like what obstacles are in your way? options, what options could you try? And then just keep asking what else, what else you're building those new neural pathways and you're helping people find their own um, solutions. And then that W is just, what are you willing to commit to and how can I hold you accountable? And you're, you're asking people to identify like, what is the one thing that you know is going to make the biggest difference in your performance? And rather than me saying, okay, so I'm going to check up on you on X day in this way, you just ask them, how would you like me to hold you accountable? And they will tell you, you know, so just a super simple technique, but makes a world of difference. And that, that's just a great starting point. Yeah, I love that. I, I was just about to ask that same question, Josh, for, you know, entrepreneurs that maybe have a small team just starting out that don't quite have the resources to uh, <laughs> to bring Shannon in to help sharpen their team. You know, these are great, great tips. Um, and I, I really love what you said. You know, how do you I think it, a lot of this comes back to empowerment. You know, how do you really empower them and ask them, OK, so what would you need and how can I help keep you accountable? And I, and I think that also makes them feel also engaged. Um, I, I'd like to, to not get too nitty gritty, but I'd like to maybe get some, some feedback from you on maybe some tips and tricks on, you know, accountability, um, KPIs, things that, um, you know, kind of, keep the team on point. Um, do you have any suggestions on maybe what are some good metrics to possibly look at? Uh, how often should the teams be getting together? Is there kind of a sweet spot is there, or not a sweet spot? Is there is there too much interaction with the teams, right? Is there too many, you know, I'm sure this has come up. Can you have too many meetings in a day? You know, obviously I think that's a, a pretty obvious answer, but you know, do you have any tips as far as, uh, you know, little logistics, KPIs, things of that nature? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, I mean, it just depends on the function of the team. I've I found that each, you know, marketing KPIs are so pretty, you know, versus engineering or sales, customer service. Um, I mean, there are some pretty standard uh, KPIs for each function that I think every manager should just be aware of. And, you know, and then I, I also think it's important to look at not just performance metrics, but also some sort of engagement metrics. And so, um, you know, by either, there are a few engagement platforms out there for running surveys periodically, or, you know, it could be as simple as just bringing the team together and say like, what are, what are the uh, behaviors of engagement and commitment that we want to exemplify ourselves 
And then let's just do a pulse, like red, yellow, green. Where are we on this behavior? And then just checking again, you know, three months or six months. You can run your own form of that, your own internal engagement metrics um, that are good to track over time. Yeah, that's great. You know, just to to give a quick experience here, um, I've been in the uh, Entrepreneurs Association with my with a couple of my businesses the last few years, and one of the biggest, biggest, biggest takeaways that I've gotten from that, and that really made a, a huge difference in, in not only my own company, but what I've also seen in some of my foreign members and whatnot, is the morning huddle. And mm-hmm. how powerful that is. And for, for those of you who don't know what that is, it is a really quick five to 10 minutes max. And you basically get in a huddle, you stand up, you're engaged, but it's the first thing in the morning. And it's a quick, quick, quick check-in on what's going on. What were some of your challenges? What do you have going on? What could you have help with? It's it's not a time to go deep on any of those issues, but just to say, hey, here's kind of what's going on. You can hear what's going on around you. And I can tell you as a business owner, it really helps to just quickly check in to see what's going on in the room. Um, obviously, the huddles kind of work at a certain size and once they get too big then you kind of cut it up but doing that every single morning max 5 10 15 minutes at the absolute max really really helps i mean it just jump starts the entire day and gives a really kind of great overview on kind of like what's going on and it helps you kind of like navigate and it also helps other people to other team members to help other team members when they kind of voice and hear what what's going on so i found that immensely helpful mm-hmm. yeah absolutely hey, Sh- hey shannon i was curious uh, if somebody's on a team right now because we talked about the owner if they're on a team, is there anything they can do? You know, like maybe they're sitting there listening, going, I wish I had this team. <laughs> you know, I wish <laughs> my team was doing these things. And uh, they're not. Is there is there anything that somebody can do to empower themselves or to bring this conversation to their owner? Or any just any recommendations for somebody on a team either to be more fulfilled with what they can manage or how to bring this conversation up? Any, any suggestions that way? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean – you know, one thing that comes to mind is you know, at the end of the day, what are we talking about? We're just talking about like perform, uh, about improvements and learning. And so, you know, it could be as simple as, I mean, it's so funny because it actually is very simple to just stop and reflect and mm. it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't take very long, you know, even if it's just, um, you know, I, I recommend at least an hour a month. At least, at least one meeting per month is a time where we just ask ourselves, what's working, what's not working, what do we want to do differently? Hmm. And so as a team member, you know, maybe even just bringing it up to the team and saying, hey, I'd, I'd like to suggest that we pause for a moment. I'm sure we're all you know, hitting the ground running since it's 2018 and everyone's... Um, you know, really focus now on tasks at hand. But before we do that, um, maybe we should just reflect on how how do we think we did, not just from a performance standpoint, but how do we think uh, we're doing from a collaboration standpoint, from a productivity standpoint, and even just having that forum where you say what's working, 
What's not working? What do we want to do like differently? What do we want to commit to moving forward? How are we going to hold ourselves accountable to that? When do we want to check in again? And how are we going to know that things changed? So, um, that's what I can offer for any, any person who's a part of a team, just bring it up to the team, uh, bring it up to your manager. And if you do that, I guarantee your manager is going to be very freaking impressed, (laughs) especially if you volunteer to be a facilitator for that conversation. Um, so that, that's a, a little nugget that could be helpful for the listeners. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, and then I just had two questions for you. One of them is you've mentioned some really good uh, resources, and it sounds like you've done a lot of study around teams, uh, different you know theories, and any just either recommendations on books, or you know if somebody's just loving this conversation, going super interesting. What resources would be really helpful um, that you find have? Because it sounds like in your research, what's helped sculpt your perspective, and yeah. you think would be because there's some that's outdated sometimes. Yeah, uh, and some things are are good at looking at multiple perspectives, saying, "Oh, these are all relevant. They all apply in different circumstances." And sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, "Oh, this stuff's super outdated. <laughs> you know, yeah. it doesn't work anymore." So, just curious on resources. Sure. sure. So, a couple of things that come to mind. Um, one is a book called "Committed Teams," and that uh, recently came out last year. And I think that it's a really great. It has a really great toolkit for managers. It brings together all the relevant research um, on teams and presents it in a very um, simple and um, actionable way. And that that book came out of um, a couple of researchers, practitioners at Wharton. And then um, one book that I recommend for all my managers is Helping People Win at Work by Ken Blanchard. And, um, it's all about the don't mark my paper, help me get an A philosophy. Um, so, uh, really, really great coaching questions in there for managers. And then there's a classic that is one of those where I've all, I've read snippets here and there and, um, I've always known that I should read it, but I've just never really got around to it. And my uncle recommended it to me over the holidays. And so I ordered it and like, wow, mind blown. Um, Peter Senge is the fifth discipline. That's excellent. Thank you. Thanks for yeah. sharing those. And uh, I, so just one, just other, and this is more of a fun question. Uh, this is more, you know, our, our, our podcast is called Mastering Fulfillment. And there's obviously resonance with you to be on, on it with us. And, uh, you know, just curious, one thing in your life that's brought you more fulfillment. It could be from a personal level. It could be from a professional level. Just if you and you go ahead if you need a second to really reflect on it. But it's like, what what's something that you do or that you've discovered or that you you know have figured out in your life that you do on a regular basis that you're like, oh, this is juice. This really juices me or my partner or my business or my team or myself it could be any any broad range of whatever it is but just you know is there something that comes to mind that's like juice for you that's like i've solved this and i get so much fulfillment when i do this yeah it would it it's this work <laughs> um it, it's taken me a while to discover this work and to 
uh, be brave enough to um, to open up my own organization and to channel my expertise and my different sources of um, experience into what I do now. And um, it's definitely been a journey. I mean, most people who have been trained to be PhD sociologists do the pretty standard academic tenure track thing. And I just, I didn't find that fulfilling and leaving that world. My advisors are basically like, all right, well, good luck. You want to do applied work? Ew. Like who wants to, that's, you know, that's beneath us. (laughs) Um, Good luck with that. And so there was really no set path for me um, in thinking about how I was going to direct my energy in a way that was really fulfilling. And it took me a good, um, took me a good five or six years to, to, to find a path that really used my talents in a way that felt, um, natural and like I'm home in what I'm intended to do. So that's where I am. And, and, and on that, since, since, and I, lo- I so loved your question. I'm, and I, Scott and I are so similar. So we're both like, yes. So, <laughs> so with it, uh, just curious, because again, it sounds like you had this discovery of five, six years, just give it out. And then, oh, this is it. Could you expand just a little bit deeper in, you know, cause it sounds like now you've built it, you have a team in place, you're doing the work, you're being the work, you're getting it. But could you maybe talk a little bit about finding finding what you thought would give you fulfillment and a little bit of the struggle because there's a lot of people I think that are like, I know what I'm meant for. And just like you were, they go, this is what I meant for. People are telling them it's not going to work or they have fears or or whatever comes up. And Mm -hmm. sometimes they jump in and start doing it and they don't get the immediate result and are like, it's not working. (laughs) I had this vision of like, Oh, as soon as I stepped into my legacy, because I know for me, that's what I thought. I'm like, Oh, as soon as I step into this and just start doing the work, it's like the, the gates are going to open and like it's going to be so yeah. It's like, it's just as hard. It's just as difficult. Um, and so I'm just curious, you know, your, your, your path to say, I'm so fulfilled by this work and maybe share some of the, uh, I guess my question is some of the struggle that goes with that, that you're able to overcome um, so that it's not a cakewalk, right? It's not like, Oh my God, I'm so fulfilled that it's a cakewalk, but like, wow, I had to go overcome these hurdles to get to here. Uh, if you're, if you're open to sharing. Yeah. That. Oh man. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it is, it's definitely been a struggle. I mean, you know, I, and I, I would have to say, you know, of course there's, you know, the mental struggle of like the leap, you know, I was, I mean, I don't know for, for your listeners, but you know, because I had been working as a consultant within other organizations before, um, it's very easy for me to, um, you know, to, you know, someone says, Hey, you know, I would really, you know, you have this skill in X, like, can you help me here? And I'd be like, okay, sure. Or you have this, you know, and so I, I, for a, a long time, I, you know, was kind of scattered in what I was doing because I would take, um, gigs that used one part of me, but I knew it didn't use all of me. And, um, Mm. you know, and it's one thing to work for other organizations that, 
you know, if you're working for another, for me, because I was working as a consultant with other organizations, I wasn't the person doing the biz dev. I was the person offering and delivering on the services. And so um, one of the things that was a real, um, you know, just kind of, so once you do decide that you are going to do your own thing, you know, like initially like, woo. Um, and then you're like, holy shit. Like yep. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I'm not just the person who's like delivering the services now. Like yeah. I'm the person who's like, um, you know, I'm doing all the marketing, all the PR, I'm doing all the relationship building I'm doing all the content creation and I'm delivering the services and I'm doing the evaluation of the services. And it's, um, so it's, you know, you need, even if you're not doing all those things yourself and if you have other people helping you out, you still have to have a solid grasp of how those things should work in mm-hmm. place with your company. And then there's, you know, you, you know, you, you could get a quick win with an awesome client and you're like, Oh my God, amazing. And then I'm sure, you know, kind of like the feast or famine roller coaster in the early days as well. Um, and then there's just, you know, there continues to be doubts of like, um, okay, so now I'm at this level, I can continue working at this level, but then there's this other company that's like, Hey Shannon, you know, we would love for you to come internal and work for us. And you're like, Oh, I don't know. Like that's a steady paycheck. I don't know. Like it's even, you know, even this, like, I mean, it's a constant struggle for me because I mean, it's, because it's just it's an what I'm discovering is that um it really is an an iterative journey. It's not linear at all. Um and what I love though about what I'm doing now um is that I'm continuously learning and I think the times when I doubted myself um are the times when I I nosedived. And, um, and, and it's, I think it's the ability to just have trust and faith and couple that trust and faith with just a keen eye for keen eye for what, what the business actually needs on a very practical level. Um, you know, it's not just all about like wishing for abundance or like faith that's not grounded in reality. Um, and then also recognizing that your value actually will increase the more you do it. Mm-hmm. So um, mm. that's something I've learned as well. You know, thank you so much for that share. It, you know, except for some of the, you know, specific examples or the specific topics, you could have described my path or Josh's path or even a great many of, you know, the listeners that have you know, either stepped into their own or have stepped into a completely different industry. You know, they don't want to be a lawyer anymore. Now they want to be in marketing or they want to start their own business. And it's, it's incredibly challenging. And like you said, it seems to be in ever going evolvement. And I think it's not something you ever quite master, but it is something where you just start to get become a little bit more comfortable with the you know roller coaster of it, and you know it's like you said it's about really having that faith and you know for me, it was having the faith, having the belief, and then also having the kind of keen eye to bring in the resources 
to help me get stuff done and then taking massive amounts of action and, you know, just like really putting my feet to the ground and, you know, checking in with myself. Is this working? Do I need to pivot? Do I need to go on path A or do I need to go on path B? But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, it, it's a real challenge that, that we see in, in, in so many of our listeners and in so many of our clients. So we really appreciate you, you know, telling your story and, you know, sharing all of your, all of your insights. And we really appreciate you coming on, onto the podcast. And, you know, it's really funny because Shannon also, has uh, another endeavor called Epic Teams. And I was going back and forth to bring her on as an expert for teams. Um, I'm sorry, um, for Epic Epic Couples. Sorry about that. (laughs) She has another endeavor called Epic Couples where she really helps, you know, bring in fulfillment with couples. And that's something that we've talked about here on this podcast as well. And I kept going back and forth. It's like, okay, do we bring here or, or do we have her on here? So we'll, we'll definitely going to have to bring you in on another podcast. And we absolutely appreciate you sharing, you know, your gifts, your insights and everything else. Uh, where can people learn a little bit more about you? How can people get in contact with you and all of that? Yeah. Um, www.epicteams.co is the best place to find me. You can email me directly at Shannon at epicteams.co. And I'm in San Francisco. So if you're in the Bay, ring me up. Let's get coffee or tea. Take a walk along the Embarcadero. Um, I love learning about other people's journeys as well and being a part of this community. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Josh and I. Absolutely appreciate you. Uh, bringing your insights and your heart to to master and fulfillment, and we look forward to bringing you on in a uh, in a later episode. Thank you so much. Yeah. Cheers. Visit us at masteringfulfillment.com for other podcasts such as these, or if you're looking to take your personal fulfillment to another level, feel free to get in contact with either myself or Joshua Warner.